0: Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton.
1: How dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights, and their freedoms.
0: Well, thanks for your company. There's a lot I want to get through on this week's episode, so let's get stuck in. And what a week has been with the historic overturning of the 1973 Roe v. Wade U.S. Supreme Court decision which legalized the killing of unborn babies on demand. That was U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris that you just heard. I'll have more to say about that shortly, along with revelations of our Christian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's support for abortion. You won't believe what I'm about to show you. Also coming up is my interview with my sister Letitia, who is raising money to provide parents with the resources they need to talk to their kids about pornography. Many feminists rightly say that abortion is downstream from pornography. But first, I want to share something that touched me deeply during my visit to New Zealand last week. My visit, uh, of course, coincided with Anzac Day, and I was keen to experience the dawn service from the other side of the ditch, or the Dutch, which I did in the regional city of Fongaray, about two hours north of Auckland. Fongaray's dawn service was identical to Australian services I have attended over the years. Like Australia, there were Christian hymns, Bible readings, reflections, the reading of the names of the fallen, and the playing of the last post, followed by a minute's silence. It was great to feel an affinity with our trans-Tasman cousins on a day that is unique in the world to our two nations. It was great to experience the NZ in Anzac. The only difference between an Australian dawn service and a New Zealand one was the playing of a song called Sons of Gallipoli. I'd never heard this before. I brought back a short clip from my iPhone, which I want to share with you. Please take a listen. You might have heard the New Zealand national anthem woven into this haunting lament, a plea to God, hear our voices, we entreat. The chorus contained the words, with tearful sigh and a question why. New Zealand, which was not even a nation at the time, it was still a British colony, lost 2,000 of its finest at Gallipoli in 1915. Our freedoms have come at an enormous price on both sides of the Tasman, lest we forget. (laughs) Now, I've had a lot to say about Catherine Deves, the Liberal candidate for Warringah on Sydney's Northern Beaches. You might recall that Deves has been demonised by the mainstream media, many in the Liberal Party, and of course, Labor and the Greens, because she highlights the dangers of gender-fluid ideology. Sadly, Labor and Liberal are protecting the infiltration of gender-fluid ideology in schools. Deves was uh, nearly cancelled in the pylon and is bruised and battered, but she is still standing. She's been humiliated by the Liberal Party, forced to apologise for saying perfectly reasonable things in defence of children and women and girls sports, and she's been forced to take down her social media. But the persecution of her is playing out badly for the rainbow political activists and their woke supporters in in the Liberal and Labor parties. In mainstream Australia, support for Deeves is strong, as you would expect. Parents simply don't want Their schools putting their sons in dresses or allowing biological males to compete against their daughters in sport. Only the woke don't get this. But there are signs they are waking up. Channel 9's political editor, Chris Ullman, buried the lead in a recent column in the Sydney Morning Herald. He quoted a Labor strategist who said, This is not a 60-40 split. It's 90-10. In Deeves' favour. It's time, conservative and family-minded people found their voice. Old people and young people want Roe vs Wade to maintain as the law of the the land. We need to do And we have a right. Extremists? We've heard enough from the extremists. And we're We're tired of it. Abortion policy in America is about to become the same as it is in Australia. This week's leak and subsequent confirmation that the Supreme Court of the United States is about to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade judgment means abortion goes back to the people. That's exactly as it is here, but you wouldn't know it from the wailing and gnashing of teeth from the radical left. For anyone who believes in democracy, the decision should not be controversial. Yet left-wing politicians like former presidential contender and Massachusetts Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren are in meltdown, as you just heard. But all the ruling means is that the US state legislatures will have the same power as state parliaments in Australia to decide yes or no on abortion. Declaring the law was egregiously wrong from the start, Justice Samuel Alito wrote, and I quote, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, end quote. But unlike Australia, and this is why the left has their hair on fire, up to 27 US states will act on the restoration of their freedoms, and they'll legislate to protect unborn babies. Politicians in these states will vote this way because they know protecting unborn babies and ending the coercing of their mothers is a vote winner. Who knew? The radical left can't stand the idea of abortion policy being determined by the people's representatives. They prefer unelected Democrat appointed judges to impose the law. But anyone who thinks the earthquake that is the overturning of Roe will reverberate much here in Australia is dreaming. What have we have a lot more work to do to build consensus for the protection of unborn children and a better deal for their mothers. That's just the way it is in Australia. Since 2008, almost every state parliament has voted to allow abortion all the way to birth with virtually no questions asked. Our laws are so extreme, we even allow sex selection abortion to weed out unborn baby girls and there are almost no protections for women coerced by men to kill their babies. It's open slather. The latest uh, states to join the abortion-to-birth club were New South Wales in 2020, South Australia in 2021, both under Liberal premiers. Our Christian Prime Minister Scott Morrison supports abortion to the genuine shock and horror of a constituency which is overwhelmingly pro-life. In a letter to former Liberal National Party member George Christensen, Morrison wrote this... Access to pregnancy termination services in Australia is the responsibility of the states and territories and subject to their respective legislation. This access is is an important element of the reproductive and sexual health services the Commonwealth Government supports for Australian women. And we continue to work with the states and territories on the availability of safe and legal abortions Australia-wide. We are committed to protecting and promoting the sexual and reproductive health and rights of women and girls. I am proud that Australia is globally recognised in this space. It is a core part of our foreign policy and aid program, and we advocate on these issues in international fora." End quote. Now, Christiansen publicly releases correspondence at the annual Cherish Life March in Brisbane at the weekend. Unlike the US abortion policy in Australia, uh, it's locked down here by democratic decisions our parliaments uh, have made and it's secured by taxpayer funding with the support of a Christian prime minister. Pro-life people might not like it, but it has democratic imprimatur. Australians have shown little appetite to vote out Uh, politicians who are pro-abortion. So the practice continues. Make no mistake, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is arguably the biggest social justice win for the centre-right in our lifetimes. It's akin to the British Parliament's abolition of the slave trade in 1808. In his maiden speech to the Senate, Barnaby Joyce said abortion was the slavery of our times, and he was right. Slavery continued in countries like the United States until the Civil War in the 1860s, and abortion on demand will sadly continue in Australia for the foreseeable future. But in the global fight for the human rights for the unborn, tectonic plates have shifted. Without former President Donald Trump's appointment of three conservative judges, this would not have happened. The saving of millions of babies' lives will be a lasting legacy of the Trump presidency. People
1: might be getting sick of me talking about porn, but um, as I say, I'm a bit sick of the porn industry talking to our kids.
0: Well, that was my amazing sister, Letitia Shelton. She is the CEO of City Women in Toowoomba and heads a campaign for a porn free city. I spoke with her just before she jetted out for a speaking tour in Fiji. Well, it's great to have uh, my sister, Letitia Shelton, joining me right now. Uh, For those who are tuning in live, uh, we're speaking on uh, Monday the 2nd of May and Tish you're just about to fly out to the island nations of Fiji for a month to spend the month of May in Fiji. Uh, tell us what you're you're doing there Tish.
1: Yeah usually people think I'm going to go sit on a beach and sunbake but um, <laughs> it's definitely not a holiday. I've been working in Fiji the last few years. Um, we used to live there. I went to an all-girls Fijian school so I've got a lot of contacts now there and um, doing a lot of work around the abuse of women and the issue of pornography, which is alive and well in the beautiful islands of Fiji.
0: Seems like a funny place to go to talk about pornography, Tish. Um, You're well known for fighting that fight here in Australia and I want to come back to that. But uh, why Fiji? Why is this issue a big issue in um, countries like you know these Pacific paradise nations where you think everything's idyllic and and wonderful,
1: yeah. Well, wherever you find good internet, there'll be good porn. And um, Fiji, unlike Australia, has a really strong internet connection. Um, you know, I can go to Northern Territory and be in places where I can't get connected here in Australia, but in Fiji, you can be on little islands in the middle of nowhere and um, you are connected well. So, um, we're, and yeah, so that's um. It seems to find its way into the hands of, of children, um, young and old, grandmas, grandparents. Uh, but it's a it's a culture of silence. So they um, haven't spoken up about this at all. I think especially the older generation are probably still trying to catch up with what's going on. But Fiji actually rate fourth highest in the world for Googling the word porn um, per head of population. So it's a huge and it's having huge ramifications Um through with with increase of abuse and rape and incest and grandparents, um, grandfathers messing with their granddaughters. I mean, these stories are in the newspaper weekly over there. So, uh, just trying to break the silence.
0: Is it worse in their society than it is in our sort of more developed society?
1: Ah, look, where's no, I don't know. Um, are are it, we are it, we just as bad? <laughs> Uh, look we're probably just as bad it feels worse over there because it's uh, a smaller nation I think we're certainly talking about it a lot more and it's coming out uh, a lot more over here a lot more education in schools um, and in churches but over there um, it's still not really talked about.
0: Now you mentioned you had lived in Fiji and people might be wondering yeah why the connection but you were a uh, young high school student, um, you went to the Annie Thackenbaugh School, which is uh, an elite private school for, for girls. Um, that might sound elitist, but for an Australian family living in Fiji, the, the school fees were probably actually quite affordable. Um, and that was one of the reasons you were able to go there. But that that's obviously opened up doors for you into that nation, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it's actually a government school, but I think our fees were uh, $40 per semester. I was a day scholar, but yes, every uh, girl, every little girl in Fiji wants to go to ACS, um, and it, and it was actually started by a um, an English lady who had a heart to train young leaders in Fiji because she, she could see that women were second class, um, and that it was having an effect. So she started this school and worked in with a lot of village leaders and the locals, and um, has and she's since passed on, and it's run by um, all locals now, which is amazing. So uh, for me to be able to go there as a white girl, it wasn't for us white girls, it was for the local Fijians, but uh, somehow I was allowed in. Hmm. So, now yeah, then, I mean, yeah. now a lot of my classmates and friends, uh, a number of them are in federal politics. Uh, in, uh, a lot of um, graduates from that school are now in key positions um, around the nation, and around the world.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing, Tisha. You, you were there earlier this year. You were on their... Um, national television, uh, speaking in big churches, other community groups, uh, you expect me to do similar things again. This time you're going over for a prolonged period for the whole month of May. What, what sort of opportunities do you think there might be?
1: <laughs> you never know until you arrive in Fiji you just got to turn up and um, I've told him I'm here for the long term. I'm not just um, popping in and out but here for the long term and you've got to build trust and relationships and there are some people who are really wanting to do things around this issue. So if I can use a bit of my experience and uh, I guess uh, my courage, I don't mind speaking up and disrupting. And uh, sometimes it helps having an outsider come in and kind of um, mm. be able to help disrupt things a bit. So, but I'm certainly working locally. So we'll see what happens.
0: That's fantastic. Now, Tish, um, we, I've had you on this podcast before and I want to continue doing that because uh, you're such an activist. And I think it's important for people to be up to date with what people like yourself are doing. But, um, you caught my eye again last week when I saw on your Facebook page um, you speaking at a forum in um, in both of our hometown of Toowoomba in Queensland uh, in the presence of the local mayor and probably other community leaders about this issue of pornography and about the campaign to make Toowoomba uh, a porn-free city, which a lot of people just laugh at the idea. But uh, tell us where that's up to. You, you've been at this for many years and you, you had this other event again just last week with the mayor. Um, you've obviously still got momentum with this campaign.
1: Yes, well, firstly, thanks for looking at my Facebook while um, sharing. Always following you, teach. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah, I don't just like, I share, which yep, is what everyone should you. do. Multiply, multiply good yes. content.
1: That's it. Share my fundraising page. Um, <laughs> so, yes, look, the, the mayor and I, uh, he's been in for about eight years now, and it was about six years ago. Um, We got together and really wanted to do something to address the issue of pornography, particularly in our city, to raise awareness. We can't ban it or get rid of it, but um, really wanting to raise awareness. So it's been a a journey of just doing some big events in our city, um, working with principals, with churches, just um, doing billboards, television ads, radio ads. But uh, last year, I set out to uh, raise a lot of funds for a, just a simple little book called How to Talk to Your Kids About Pornography. We realised we had to help educate parents because um, by the time their kids were in school hearing a talk around pornography in year nine, you're probably four or five years too late, to be honest, with um, the average age between eight to 11. So uh, I set out to cycle from Darwin to Broome, wanted to raise $200,000 to get 30,000 of these books into homes. Um, wow.
0: How many homes are there in Toowoomba,
1: Yeah, look, there's probably more than that, but that was just the goal that we wanted mm-hmm. to, that we thought was doable to kind of, you know, get on the um, front foot. Um, so, I, well, we rode from Darwin to the WA border because then COVID broke out and we all know what Mark McGowan's like. And so that's such a big
0: COVID risk uh, in the Kimberley, that they had to stop at the border there.
1: <laughs> uh, look, there were two two COVID cases. Uh, that was back last June. Anyway, so I'm going to go back and uh, finish the ride, starting at Kununurra, going to Broome, which is over a mm. thousand kilometres. Wow. Uh, the good good news is, last year we raised ninety-seven thousand dollars. Wow,
0: ninety. So is- that's halfway to your goal. Yeah. which
1: is just unbelievable. I thought we would never have gotten that far. And uh, so far, 16,000 books have been delivered
0: um, by
1: by volunteers into homes. And we've been getting the feedback. We've been getting the abuse. But um, a lot of things... Tell tell us
0: about that feedback. Tell us about the positive side and then tell us about the abuse.
1: Yeah, look, I, I remember getting a message from a woman who had received the book that morning and had actually, the day before, discovered that her child was into pornography and generally uh, for parents it can be quite a source of stress and alarm and a lot of emotion and, and they don't always deal with it well and talk through it. But she just said the book just gave her the, the wording and equipped her to have, you know, a non-emotive um, condemning because it's not always these kids' fault when they um, see porn. They don't always go looking for it. Um, and so I, I think just again and again the, the words I've heard from um, parents is that it's just such a simple book just outlining what to say and and understanding further the impact that porn has and what to do if you find out that your kid's already addicted Mm. um, how to keep having the conversation it's not certainly not a once-off conversation Um, and so yeah it's just simple it's got good pictures um and then, you know, I've heard from educators, we've heard from schools, um, school nurses and psychologists saying that this mm. is one of the best resources they've ever seen. Wow. Uh, wh- wow. One school bought 500 copies to um, distribute to all their school community. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just been an amazing response.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll come to the abuse in a minute, but it's, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about... Um, your local community engaging with this. Uh, people will know that you're a Christian. Um, you're not afraid of that, obviously. But this is something where, you know, getting outside of the four walls of the church and doing something which people in the community um, are crying out for, this sort of information. And, you know, our, our popular media condemn anyone who campaigns against porn as your wows is just religious nutters, yada, yada. And yet your school principals are trying to deal with this problem and they're using the resources and, and you know joining with you in this campaign.
1: Yeah absolutely I mean they're dealing with the day-to-day fallout of it you know they're trying to teach maths and um, kids are all over the place and you're dealing with um, you know child on child sexual abuse has now become one of the yeah. um, hugest leading uh, issues in domestic abuse so yep yeah. they see it and they're willing and uh, the police, you know, are now beginning to get on board with it and see the effects that that has. And
0: yeah. so... You mentioned in your talk last week, and I will come back to the the abusive feedback you got because I think that will be interesting, but you mentioned in your talk with the mayor that um, I think one in uh, five, um, or bo- well, give us the st- stats, but it's a very high uh-huh. number of um, children that are exchanging mm. nude pictures of themselves mm. using their mobile phones.
1: Yeah, it's one in five girls. Yeah. Um, and 1 in 10 boys between the ages mm-hmm. of 13 and 17. Um, and 40% of them believe that it's okay. There's nothing wrong yeah. with it. And, uh, and that's just because of what their porn has normalized. Um, porn has conditioned
0: this. them to think that that is okay. That's, and and absolutely. The, the higher um, number of girls would be because um, boys pressuring girls for those sort of photos, I'd imagine. Uh,
1: uh, absolutely. There's a lot more pressure. I mean, statistics around, because girls are now watching porn at a great alarming rate, mm. and the statistics of um, girls who watch porn are actually more likely to be sexually abused themselves, again, because yeah. um, they're watching something that they think this is a normal behaviour. So, I mean, the ramifications go long and deep.
0: Yep. What do you think the effect of um, what we're seeing on our streaming services, where most people, you know, consume television these days... Um, you've got a lot of shows now on Netflix and the other services that are, you know, lots and lots of, um, you know, sex scenes, all highly sexualized as part of the narrative. I suppose it started with Game of Thrones years ago, but now you've got Bridgerton and others, um, which everyone seems to be into, but, um, you know, it's a a form of um, voyeurism and, you know, pornographic expression, isn't it? These shows, Uh, what what are you seeing in your work how are, how is this further mainstreaming and normalising pornography? Do you think?
1: Yeah, look, we're, I mean, it's just everywhere, so you can't escape it. Not to mention um, the apps that our kids are on. I mean, it's all riddled through there. Uh, and the unfortunate side is that there's predators usually behind. Maybe not so much on the Netflix and. Uh, the big streaming but on the um, apps there's, there's predators uh, sitting waiting um, to connect with young people who just don't have a brain that's developed and understand the dangers of this so there's um, so many issues at every yeah. level really and unfortunately um, look there's good parents who are on the ball with this but the majority of parents um, are just asleep at the wheel and, and a lot of that's because they don't know what to say or have these conversations or they're struggling with their own issues but that's why we're wanting to get a resource into their hand um, Mm, to at least mm. help kick something off.
0: The um, Liberal Party yesterday, um, we're recording this on Monday, the 2nd of May, but uh, yesterday Scott Morrison announced a policy to um, try and cut off some of the sources of um, inappropriate material. I haven't got across all the detail yet, but um, he was talking about um, protecting kids in the online world from inappropriate material, obviously cyberbullying, but pornography being part of that um a step in the right direction
1: yeah i definitely think so in nations where they've um, put age um barriers into porn sites like germany and france then what they're beginning to do is shut down some of these porn sites that aren't um you know lining up with their uh, legislation so i think Mm. yes it it begins to hold them accountable when you put some of these things in place Um, but at the moment in australia we have no age verification at all, so you know uh, our kids are two clicks away from some of the most violent pornography.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Look, it, I suppose I'm a little bit cynical, uh, having campaigned with uh, Australian Christian lobby ten or fifteen years ago for this sort of thing, and and had it shut down by the Libertarians in the Liberal Party, who said you can't you know censor the internet, yada yada. But uh, the problems got even worse, and uh, it's great to hear Scott Morrison saying that the online world should, ref, you know, the rules there should reflect what uh, applies on broadcast television. Not that that's uh, <laughs> anything too great, but at least, as you say, it's a step in the right direction. Tish, tell us about, um, you know, the, the abuse you've got. You've been distributing this book then, um, how to talk to your kids about porn. You've had some terrific positive feedback, schools ordering it. Um, why would there be blowback to something like this and, and what form does that take?
1: Yeah, people love their porn. Um, usually, it comes in the form of an email or somebody who's tracked me down on Facebook. Um, yes, it's all, no, no one comes and talks, has a decent conversation to your face to find out more, yeah. do they? Uh, so, uh, I suspect that those people are watching porn, that they've got a few brain cells that have died, um, that they're, you know, not fully comprehensive. So, but, um, you know, I pass some of them on to the police. The police always says take, to take these things seriously. There's, but uh, a lot of it's um, just, you know, trying to intimidate and shut you up. But um, yep. that won't happen.
0: The other event you had recently was dealing with the issue of domestic violence. And I think particularly, um, sadly, domestic violence in, in the church world. Um, what's, what are the links that we're seeing, you know, between pornography and violence against women? And, and why is this not talked about in the big discussion that we're having nationally in the wake of, you know, Brittany Higgins and others about, um, you know, the abuse of of women? Why why don't people join the dots with pornography and violence?
1: Yes, good question. Uh, I saw a story come out yesterday of an MP in the UK who has just resigned because he was caught watching porn mm. twice. <laughs> Uh, in parliament. So, I think a reason why we never get traction uh, or fast enough traction in parliament is because a lot of these parliamentarians are into it. I wonder how many Australian politicians wouldn't have to resign. Uh, so, look, yeah, we don't like to speak about it. I think people just haven't always done their research, but uh, it's well known and well documented that 88% of porn is violence against women. I mentioned in our launch last week um, that the UK Children's Commissioner is really looking into the effects that porn is having on their children. And he's he's hearing stories of um, young teenagers choking each other. (laughs) You know, one girl just wanted her first kiss and he he went for the throat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is stuff that our good friend Melinda Tankard-Reese hears again and again as she's in and out of schools every day. Um, It's just, um, you know, it's kids copy what they see
0: yeah that's right look i I think um i have a theory tish and i think we've talked about this before but um you know the stuff you've described seems very extreme choking and and violence but um that could then be used by people to excuse so-called you know non-violent erotica which is what the sex trader i remember fiona patton you know who's now a member of the upper house in victoria and used to run the pornography industry in australia you know she's now in parliament as the greatest advocate for for all this but they use these euphemistic terms nonviolent erotica as if there's uh, a safe porn. But my theory is that, and, and you know, uh, it, let's face it, it's it's addictive, it, it sucks you in, uh, particularly guys. Um, I, I just don't believe someone wakes up one day and wants to choke his girlfriend. Um, I think there's a pathway there. And I, I would even um, postulate that, you know, someone who's into child pornography doesn't just jump into that straight away I I think there's a gateway through the highly addictive nature of seeing you know uh, naked images and then it just sucks people down uh, a never never ending spiral until they're in a really really dark place and 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 this is why we see this outbreak of violence um, pedophilia and and all of this sort of stuff it doesn't just happen in a vacuum that's my theory but uh, I can't prove it
1: (laughs) Uh, look, one of my good friends in Fiji, uh, he worked in the men's prison over there in, in the capital city of Suva, and his job was interview, to interview all the sex offenders as they were coming in. And he said 100% of them were had been into pornography, 100%. Yeah. So um, you just can't 100%, deny. 100%
0: them. of sex offenders in a jail in Fiji, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, so... More work needs to be done on this. Um, Tisha, uh, fantastic what you're doing. Um, when So when you get back from Fiji, you're going to complete the ride uh, into uh, – are you starting off uh, from the halfway point from where you left off yeah, or you, do you have to start uh, again?
1: <laughs> no, no, starting from Kananara, so just a bit yeah. over the border um, yeah. and then it'll be 10 days of cycling to Broome,
0: so um, an hour to Broome, and you're doing that when? In uh, is that June? Is that uh, June? The... Yeah,
1: about the middle of June. Sometime. So, how do you
0: keep up your training regime? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've stayed at your house in Toowoomba and seen you get up very early in the morning to go off bike riding uh, to maintain this rigorous regime of training you do. How do you do that in Fiji? Are you taking yeah. a bike with you?
1: <laughs> you can't cycle in Fiji. Um, the it's too potholes <laughs> and the buses. Um, yeah. So. I'm just hoping there's a big wind behind me um, <laughs> when I get to Kananara.
0: Wow, okay. Uh,
1: yeah, it's yeah, bad timing. Be, but uh, yeah. It's not good timing, but anyway, hopefully.
0: I'm sure we'll you'll be fine. It. You could take up running, Tish. Uh, that's, mm. uh, that's what you should do. Uh, um, so, Tish, if people want to sponsor your ride yeah. and help raise the extra. <laughs> yeah, glad you asked. Um, uh, and help, you know, try and raise. So your aim is to raise the extra $100,000, obviously more if you can to to get the other 15,000 uh, how to talk to your kids about porn books into homes in the city of Toowoomba.
1: Yep. Yes. Um, no, that would be great. It's uh, cityfree.org.au is our website, cityfree.org.au. Cityfree.org.au, yep. And make a donation uh, there or, you know, we're happy to help um, empower you to do it in your own city as well. Yeah. It's something that needs to be replicated all over Australia.
0: Absolutely. That's the thing that's so inspiring about what you're doing, Tish. Um, you're a practitioner as well, and it's, uh, it's on the ground. So, look, thanks so much for talking to us today. Really appreciate it, and um, wish you all the best uh, over the month uh, in Fiji. Trust that goes well. Thanks so that's much, it. Tish. Thanks,
1: La.
0: Well, that's it for this week. Our lacklustre Seinfeld election campaign, a campaign about nothing, drones on. And I'll have more to say about that. So please pray for our nation. We have a serious debt, a freedom of speech crisis, freedom of religions crisis, and we have a social crisis, social policy crisis on our hands. And neither side of politics are addressing the big issues facing our nation. Thanks to Dave and Aidan at The Good Source News for production of the Macquarie Street Political Podcast again this week. Until next week, goodbye.